0: welcome to core voices your space your community where every voice has a choice where you matter and where your story matters reach out to us share your story and help us to build this community together email us to hello at corevoices.org check out our social media handles on instagram and facebook go and hit that follow and like button and look out for our YouTube page, which will be coming soon with lots of new and exciting content. If you haven't already, go and check out our website and connect with us at corevoices.org and check out some of our new projects, including a very cool and exciting new project that I will be running in Southall for a girls' youth club starting in January. So if you want to volunteer, if you want to attend or get involved, drop me an email to hello at corevoices.org those of you that have been watching the news on social media you'll know and have some idea of what's going on in India at the moment and some of you might understand what is happening and others I know are not so well informed those of you that don't know India has just had the biggest protest in human history As tens of thousands of farmers marched to the capital to protest the proposed new legislation, upward of 250 million people around the subcontinent participated in a 24 hour general strike of solidarity, supporting the farmers. Today, we have a wonderful guest and brother on the show. He'll be joining us today to shed some light and valuable insights. Into these events because it's important for us to understand what's going on what role we can play in supporting and how we step up as activists for these movements Shamshir Singh is the co-founder of the national Sikh youth federation the NSYF and an influential Sikh activist his work centers on Sikh being and Khalistan The National Sikh Youth Federation engages Sikh youth and Sikh organisations in critical dialogue, holding workshops, lectures and exhibitions. As a Narjuan Panthik Jatibandi, National Sikh Youth Federation's work has featured in national and international media, documentary films, books and academic papers. Shamshir Singh has facilitated and participated in panel discussions with artists, scholars, politicians, and organizers from a variety of backgrounds, consistently representing a strong Banthic position. Shamshir Singh works to build solidarity with racialized communities and to create space for Sikh expression, centering on Sikh sovereignty and Sikh resistance, pushing back against the erasure of Khalistan and its martyrs. Shamsher Singh currently works as program director for the newly established Khalistan Center which is dedicated to supporting and cultivating Gurmat driven leadership to further the struggle for Khalistan. Please join me in welcoming Shamsher Singh to Core Voices. Ritchie, Waheguru ji ka khalsa, Thank you for being in this space with us. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm excited for our conversation because there's so much movement happening around the world. And as it's inspiring to see our people gathering in, in unity and ekta after so long, I think there's a lot of education that we still need to receive. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to share that with our community of core voices here to understand the need of what is happening at the moment. So I would like to ask if you could start by briefly explaining and just describing what's actually going on, because I don't think everybody fully captures or grasps what is happening at the moment.
1: For sure. Um, thank you so much for having me here and to talk about um, the struggles that are happening in Punjab at the moment with these uh, introduction of these new laws. Um, so basically, this issue begins in like um, early May this year, when there's three new uh, bills that were proposed, um, you know, were brought into uh, effect as ordinances, um, with powers that the president of India has that go back to kind of colonialism, where you know, the state can introduce um, laws as ordinances. So this goes back to May, and since like May, farmers have been um, organizing and resisting. Um, you know, this kind of hit a peak uh, in like September this year when there was like a big announcement to uh, block all the railroads and and main roads from Delhi coming into Punjab. Um, and there's like a, a mass kind of uh, Punjab bundle declared and, and there were strikes and, and protests. Um, And all of that kind of organizing centers around uh, farmer resistance to these three new bills, which are now um, laws. And these three bills, uh, according to the farmers, and now, you know, this is a a concern where the farmers are being uh, kind of vindicated by India's own, um, you know, courts and economists and like, um, you know, people from all over the world, essentially. Because before, like the rhetoric was that these farmers um, are uneducated, they don't understand uh, the bills, they're actually in their favor. And that rhetoric is still uh, a big part of the Indian state's response where they don't want to kind of back down on these laws. They want to uh, continually kind of explain them um, to the farmers. But the farmers, you know, have been proven right that these bills will take away control, um, you know, from small scale farmers and give that control over uh, not only the land, but also the ecology of Punjab through which crops are planted to corporations. And, and these, you know, very similar laws to these were introduced uh, in uh, Bihar. Um, and these laws, on the surface of them, they're part of like this uh, neoliberal push that we're seeing all over the world, where, you know, under the guise of increasing uh, productivity and efficiency, um, you know, uh, power is taken away from individuals and handed over to corporations. Um, you know, markets are deregulated, and then uh, corporations that stand to benefit the most gain the most. We saw this in Bihar. And Bihar, you know, like these laws didn't have the effect that um, that they were supposed to have had, Um, and it just basically ended up pushing small and um, marginal, small scale and marginalised farmers further into poverty and increasing the control of corporations. So these three um, bills that are now laws, um, essentially, what they do is the first one is, um, you know, it's called the the Produce Trade um, and Commerce Agreement. And what that um, allows uh, corporations to do um, is basically enter into. um, Sorry, that what sorry that what that allows corporations to do is to bypass um, the APMC Mundi system that's in place. So if you're a farmer in Punjab um, or in other states in uh, India, you've got three main ways um, of selling your crop. One is to go direct to the consumer. Um, which you know isn't a practical possibility when you have like you know um, several tons of uh, crop to sell um, the other is to go through the APMC Mundi which is like a kind of a government uh, regulated marketplace uh, where sellers and buyers are kind of um, introduced to each other through intermediaries um, and that system's always been um, flawed and it's always been corrupt um, you know, and there's this like extensive culture of like middlemen uh, within India, um, and you know that it's just open to corruption. It's open to like middlemen buying the you know um, crops from farmers at a lower price and selling them themselves um, at a higher price to the sellers. And that system isn't transparent at all. So this third kind of measure was introduced, um, you know, uh, called the minimum support price, and that was to ensure that the government could uh, provide a minimum price for certain listed crops uh, uh, so that the farmers wouldn't uh, be taken advantage of uh, in the marketplace and so what this uh, first bill does around produce trade and commerce is it allows corporations to um, set up um, rival markets so farmers can sell outside of APMC Mundi's Um, Right now, uh, they can't sell outside of those Mundial unless they're selling direct to the consumer. What this law allows corporations to do is set up their rival kind of um, corporate private Mundial marketplaces. And so the farmers are saying, like you know, in the start, that system will probably run well, and they'll probably be offered more. But over time, the APMC Monday system will collapse because farmers won't use it anymore, and corporations will be able to then dictate the prices. Um, and the other um, law is around is imp- called Empowerment and Protection Act, um, and that basically allows corporations to enter into contracts with farmers. Um, and that will have a, a very uh, detrimental effect on the ecology of Punjab, because you know one of the things if you're a big corporation is you want to be able to predict over the next five, ten years of like you know what the crops going to be. Um, you want as less regulation as possible. Um, you want like consistent regulation across you know all the areas that you're doing business in. And right now, every state has its own kind of nuanced regulation because it takes into account um you know the the kind of particular requirements of each state. Um, so what this this uh, act does is it allows corporations and farmers to enter into legal contracts, where a corporation can enter into a five-year contract with a farmer, and then say, you know, we want you to plant rice, for example, for five years. Um, and then uh, basically, what also happens in this law is if the if there's a dispute, the um, the farmer doesn't actually have any legal recourse to sue the corporation. And as we know, the corporations have like way more resources than small-scale farmers. Um, and also, if the corporations go bankrupt, you know they they um, you know put the farmers into more debt, um, and it also has like this hugely um, a negative impact on Punjab's ecology because it's further reinforcing monocrop culture, which is uh, you know the planting of uh, wheat and rice solely as the main kind of cash crops for Punjab. Um, and the third law is 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 around like essential commodities. So it, what that does is it deregulates um, what are essential commodities um allowing corporations um to stockpile uh, goods allowing corporations to build like large scale storage facilities um and removing kind of any um protections and those protections that exist at the moment with like the MSP the you know uh, minimum support price which has effectively become a maximum support price because it's become you know um, a ceiling price now because the Monday saying well this is the maximum minimum price you're going to get from the government that's the maximum price we're going to give you um, so the Commodities Act what that does is it, it, it uh, further weakens already um, an already flawed and already weak system it further weakens it and it takes away, you know, what minor little protections small scale farmers had. So these laws on a whole, What they do is they give, they shift the balance of power massively in favor of corporations. Um, and Punjab's farming is made up largely of small scale farms. So people that have like five, 10 acres, um, on average, you know, one or two acres is very, very common. You know, if you have 10, 20 acres, that's considered a lot of land. And there's very, very few individuals that have more land than that. So the, the vast majority of farmers are small scale farmers. Um, and they will be, um, hugely detrimentally impacted um, by these bills. One of the main ones is, um, you know, uh, deregulation. So you know, corporations now have an easier time um, with um, the laws because there's one basically blanket um, act for the entire country. Um, corporations can now buy crops and store them, um, and before they weren't allowed to do this. Um, but basically, it gives it allows the government to. Um, dictate what are essential commodities um, and these commodities um, that are not on that list can then be stored and stockpiled for a long time. Um, And then also, like the contract farming allows um, corporations to dictate what kind of crop is planted um, and then if anything goes wrong uh, the farmers can't go to the courts they have to go to like you know a, a district magistrate or the district commissioner which is already like a very very corrupt system because the corporations can uh, bribe these individuals and just generally Indian legal system I mean like I mean has like a backlog of 200 odd years, years of cases and if they were to hear all their backlog cases so it's already a, a very fragile system um, and all of that kind of has compounded into like one of the largest agitations that we've seen um, in our kind of living memory. I mean, the the, the biggest agitations before this was like the Tarmi Morcha and the Punjabi Subha movement, um, you know, where we saw like, you know, an entire generation mobilized. So this like mobilization that we're seeing now Um, you know, is directly connected to the introduction of these bills, but very quickly, um, you know, the dialogue moved beyond these bills to the larger context that allows, um, such discriminatory laws not only to be proposed, but also passed by a supposedly democratic country using, um, you know, legal vehicles such as ordinances, where there's the democratic process as weak as it is in India has been undermined by the introduction of these bills. So now you've seen like a huge wave of Punjabi um, farmers, the, lo- the vast majority of um, Punjab's population that is sick, you know, is um, uh, is an agrarian society. So there's a deep connection to farming. You know, this is something that Banda Singh uh, Bahadur, you know, bestowed upon you know the the um, so-called lower classes uh, uh, in Punjab. So there's a deep connection to farming, and now you've seen this huge mass mobilisation, um, and people in Punjab are calling it a battle for our very existence. Um, and I was watching one of the early speeches that was taking place, and, and one of the speakers made this really powerful point. They're like, look around in Punjab. What do you see here apart from Bari, apart from farming? There's no industry here. There's very little manufacturing that takes place. What other resource do we have other than farming? So if this farming is taken away, Punjab no longer will exist. And, and that's part of um, the journey that these laws are going to take the population of Punjab on. It's going to turn them from um, you know farmers, from people that work the land, have a, uh, intimate relationship with the land to being, you know, uh, factory workers and and labourers, uh, like a lot of people from Punjab that have left. Like, you know, my parents left Punjab to come work in factories here in the UK. Um, you know, and like that, that's they're now going to happen to a, a much larger scale population, where you're going to see them becoming w- workers because Punjab still is a very rural place, it's deeply tied to agriculture, and this is part of this drive to. Um, industrialized modernized Punjab, um, which on the surface of it you know seems like a good thing, but it also comes at the cost of um, a way of life and existence because agriculture and farming, farming isn't just a job, right? And um, Kittibari isn't a, a, a profession, it is a way of life. Um, there's a deep connection to the land there and a deep connection to the culture, which we're seeing, um, you know, spilling out in the streets of Delhi right now, and like the the the. the the level that this mobilisation has gathered, um, this the pace it's gathered, the way it's pulled everyone's attention to, like, on a daily basis, um, speaks for itself, in my opinion.
0: Thank you, Viji That is very, very insightful. And I think that you've helped us to understand from so many different angles, angles that many of our viewers and listeners may not be aware of. But what you have actually just painted for us is a picture which goes much farther and deeper than that Can you help us to understand where this originates from and how it's connected um with the or or what the significance is of the shambhu morcha with regards to this whole agitation at the moment
1: yeah for sure so um it's like there is like an immediate context to this and and the immediate context like you know we see around it's around the bills it's around like building um resistance and and a movement to kind of push back um, against these um laws but it also has a much much larger um, context, and that context goes, you know, um, down to um, colonialism. It goes down to, um, you know, the um, it goes down to like the occupation of Punjab. It goes down to, um, you know, like Delhi's continually um, continual policy of uh, what can only really be described as a vindictive uh, policy in a vindictive form of governance that targets Punjab um and like so the larger context of this is uh, punjab's autonomy punjab not having any control over determining its you know ecological economical social infrastructure uh, since the time of british colonization in like 1849 so since 1849 um punjab um as a, a political entity hasn't been able to determine its own future um, it hasn't had any of the um, the machinery of a, a well-functioning state in order to determine it. Um, and that has basically seen Punjab's river waters being diverted. You know, Punjab's groundwater levels being massively reduced because river water is no longer available because it's being diverted um, to other states. Um, I was watching one lecture from an individual in Punjab and he was talking about how the diversion of river waters in Punjab sells a lot. And he was talking about how when the earliest diversions began, that water wasn't even used for anything, it was just diverted and it was. just let off into dunes and villages were flooded, and he's like, you can still go and see that location. You can still see that um, uh, Barney is just stopped there, like that. The effect of that flooding is still there, and he's like, the the purpose behind that wasn't to use Punjab's river waters. It was to make sure that Punjabis couldn't use um, their river waters. Um, So all of this kind of context of uh, Punjab's autonomy, Punjab being able to determine its own future, Punjab being able to use its own natural resources, um, you know, to live in harmony, the way Punjab had been for centuries, um, all of that kind of gets, you know, um, undermined massively um, with British colonization. And then the formation of the Indian state in 1947, um, which is sold till this day as, um, you know, the freedom of india um, you know uh, partition um, it sold as you know um, this moment of a decolonization is what some people will call it but essentially what it was was a transfer of power from the, you know the british ruling elite to a uh, hindu ruling elite and what that transfer of power meant was that um, you know people that were resisting this um, were again marginalized so this larger context of colonization, this larger context of the formation of the Indian state factors into this whole thing um, that's taking place now, because we see the same movement that's taking place now already um, having uh, taken place um, through the the Morcha, which was under Sant chanel Singh and the Kali Dal at the time. So in like this 1947 world that Sikhs are now forced to exist in, um, you see Essentially, a fracturing of our being. We have to have a political and a religious identity to exist in this post-1947 world. And as as a result of this post-1947 world, Punjab was divided. Um, So partition had a massive uh, toll, um, uh, you know, in terms of lives lost, in terms of um, land lost, in terms of you know, um, seeding uh, conflict. So Punjab is like divided, and, and Bangladesh is divided to create the states of India and Pakistan. Um, and out of that, like you know, this demand arises that Punjab should have its autonomy the way it was envisioned under the agreements that led to this, you know, moment of 1947. And that kind of, you know, there's very, very famous quotes for like Re- Nehru and Gandhi saying like, you know, Sikhs would enjoy the glow of freedom and and all the rest of it. And like, you know, that a lot of people are familiar with. You know, people are familiar with like Master Tara saying this, like this negotiator, and he and he's seen as a traitor traitorous figure in Sikh history. Um, but his treachery was essentially um, trying to convince Sikhs to work within the Indian system, the Indian framework, and Sikhs rejected that because it meant uh, losing their sovereignty. And that's at like, the core of this issue is um, Punjabis can't determine um, you know, a simple thing as you know planting their crops. Um, you know, I was watching another one of these videos from Shambhu Morcha, which I'll come on to in a, in a second. Um, and this young speaker was talking about the role of uh, the Dilli government, the Dilli Sarkar, the, the Dilli Tukat, the throne of Dilli and Punjab. And he was saying, like, when, um, you know, Mughals were sitting uh, in Dilli, um, did they consult you in passing laws or did they do their hukam? They gave you orders that you had to follow. Um, you know and then he asking people were you free or were you enslaved right and then he talks about the british you know like the british when the british was sitting in the throne of delhi um, you know and they imposed their laws were you free or were you enslaved and he's like now you have the Hindutva government sitting in delhi imposing its laws on punjab are we now are we saying we're free or are we still enslaved so that like kind of consciousness of the role of the Dilli Takat, the role of the Dili government and like Punjab and like this, the, the larger uh, context to this conflict, um, you know, is, is palpable, is visible in, in the discourse and is definitely visible in Shambhu Morcha. And, and Shambhu Morcha was um, basically a, a, a parallel space that emerged during the kind of beginning moments of uh, this recent eruption that we see. And Shambhu Morcha. Um, is a place where a stage was set up, and the Sangat uh, started gathering and listening to speakers. Um, you know, in a very decentralised, very autonomous, very open space, which we're seeing now um, reflected in the way um, the occupation, let's call it, of Delhi, the Kabija of Delhi, is taking place right now, and that the dynamic that we're witnessing um, today in Delhi exists solely because um, this parallel space of Shambhu was set up. So before Shambhu, what you had is, um, you know, the farm union, um, which is like um, 30-odd farmer unions, Um, and they were basically trying to turn this into um, like a kind of a top-down movement where they were trying to, you know, be like, we are the leadership and we will represent the people. And we can see through any such kind of worker movements where they're resisting like you know um, imperialism or capitalism there's always like you know this space where like uh, the unions or the people that claim to represent um, you know the the larger demands of the community they always end up getting co-opted or end up selling out the movement and its demands so what Shambhu Morcha did um, is incredibly unique to Punjab because it centered Sikhi it centered um Punjab's Ruhaniyat like the the soul and the spirit of Punjab which is intimately connected to Sikhi um like the soil is is watered with the blood of Sikh martyrs right so like Shambhu um really gave a huge significance to that and it wasn't a space where it was like this is the leader of Shambhu Morcha and this is the group that's leading Shambhu Morcha it emerged as a space for people to um talk for them to have discussions for them to um, articulate what it is that they are what it is that dili is what the conflict is and what the potential solutions will be and what shambhu mocha did is it diffused the leadership amongst the Sangat. so when this whole thing of like let's go to dili started and the farmer unions were initially against this. They didn't want to go to Delhi. They didn't want to enter into a conflict um, with the government. And even now, they don't want this being presented as a conflict with the government. Um, but because the, the leadership was diffused amongst the Sangat, and it, you know, it's still evident until this moment, um, You know, the Sangat decided as a body, as a collective organ, that we're going to march to Delhi, and the farm unions had no other um, option other than to kind of go along with this movement. Um, And that that Sangata push that we see that originates in Shambhu that's interconnected to this kind of mobilization, pushed all the way through all of these barricades, all of the trenches that were dug, the water cannons, and we see this huge push all the way to Delhi. And now it's physically manifested that um, decentralized autonomous structure that was kind of created and emerged out of this um, mobilization we see um, you know in Shambhu I'm sorry in Delhi because there's um, you know all sorts of um, needs of the people are being taken care of from like langar, from like you know uh, washing and bathing, from education there's schools being set up there there's like gyms being set up there um, you know there's like a gurdwara being set up there there's like everything that you would uh, associate with a self-governing autonomous group they're completely taking. care of their own needs in every way possible um, and the state is now exposed as being the obstacle to people's freedom and the state is you know not only um, ideologically in opposition but physically like by setting up concrete barriers and trying to you know contain people and have a heavy police presence there the state is uh, completely exposed for people to see and you know what you see in uh, in Delhi today um, that manifestation of Sikhi, um. That's basically driven this entire movement forward, is is like is there like and is palpable and it's it, it's inspiring like you know to us sitting here across you know um, oceans and acro- across so much um, distance from Punjab, we we see that and it inspires us and it and it pulls us.
0: Is that how you felt when you saw the footage of the things breaking through the barricades and they're going through the water cannons? What was it that you were feeling when you saw that
1: like tension um i remember like in the early days like there was and this kind of sense remains there's like this vieweristic kind of connection to Punjab where people are like sharing footage and like they're kind of reveling in that moment and and i i i i get that you know like it's a powerful moment but like for me like you know i i felt like there's a massive amount of concern there like you know Punjabi people are throwing their bodies you know um, towards state violence that's only going to escalate and and we've seen this from like the 80s and the 90s like when Punjabis wanted to determine their future they wanted autonomy the state responded with massive amounts of violence you know like a, a genocide to crush uh, you know uh, a liberation movement we saw it in Punjabi Subha, you know, when um, the, you know, one of the first kind of moments where Punjab wanted to uh, formulate its autonomy according to the framework of the Indian state, right? So they were like, okay, we're a Punjabi state. Let's have a Punjabi speaking state. That was what Punjabi uh, superpowers was, where Punjab um, is a Punjabi state and Punjabi becomes, becomes its uh, national language and it's organized on like linguistic grounds. So we have like some kind of identity within the Indian union. And India's response was to like mass arrest and detain people. Sixty thousand Punjabis voluntarily courted arrest um, because the government wouldn't listen to their demands, and they were like, "Well, if you're going to arrest us, let's let's we'll fill up your jails. And when you have no space to arrest anybody, then we'll have to sit down and talk." So, like for me, it's like seeing that like spirit like continually, you know, come forward. It is it is draining as well because it's like you know when is the the character of the state ever going to change? And like we appeal to their conscience, but they don't have a conscience, you know, like they're, like they're firing water cannons at like, you know, um, elderly people in winter. Like there's children there, there's like, you know, loads of women there. There's like, you know, everybody from society is there. It's not an armed group, right? It's not like you're not dealing with like an armed um, insurgent group. You're dealing with just like, you know, people that have left, you know, their their livelihoods to, to physically be heard by, The Delhi government and and the Delhi government's response is to dig up its own roads, put in concrete barricades, bring water cannons, lathi charge the people, shoot tear gas at them to physically stop them from coming to Delhi. When they've arrived in Delhi, they're like, "Okay, we'll listen to you now," (laughs) because they had no choice. So, seeing everything like the the push from people right in the start, you know, um, the interviews that we were watching on like the satellite sick channels everyone was like you know this is the land of the shaheeds you know we're the children of Guru Gobind, singh so you can't stop us you know like we've we're the children of guru nanak we cannot be stopped like it was it was like there was no doubt in their minds that you know they're gonna reap Dili. like to them they were laughing you know like where you know the government was digging up the roads they they found it comical they were like we this is what we do right you do know we're farmers and we dig holes and we fill them in like in a day <laughs> so they see that like it was inspiring but at the same time it's like it's this weight right like you just want to be there and you just want to like throw your body onto those barricades with your siblings
0: that's really powerful it is really powerful and Vijay I'm gonna ask you there's many people who are sitting in the western lands like you and I um some who who don't feel the pain in the same way and that's okay what is it that connects you with that Hamdardi, with that compassion of what is happening in the motherland back in India? Because we all have different journeys. We have different connections. And I think that for me, you're, you're somebody who I respect, I admire and I find very inspirational. It would be wonderful if you could share some of those seeds with our viewers, because that might be the calling or the connection that they need to step up and support this movement as well.
1: I mean, like, I, I don't know, to be honest, like, what pulled my heart towards Punjab and towards, like, our struggle, like, so much, you know, like, I'm I'm born, you know, a continent away, you know, thousands of miles away, across a language barrier, across a generation barrier, like, and I feel this, you know, kitsch towards Punjab and towards, like, our Sangarsh and our Shaheeds and, and this struggle that's been present for all of our existence and you know I, I don't I don't know why it's like that you know I don't know where that feeling has come from for all intents and purposes that feeling shouldn't be there because you know culturally I'm I'm British and I have to fight that on a daily basis to remind myself that you know I'm a Sikh um, but I'm grateful that that pain is there and you know I see it as you know, part of my work to, you know, like if that Dard is there, it's a great blessing to have that connection to Punjab and have a Dard for, you know, our people. Um, and our job should be to fuel that Dard and to, you know, let it drive us, let it um define us, you know, and and be present with it constantly, rather than getting caught up into the lifestyle that's constantly, you know, shoved down our throats here, where we where we're residing right now. And like, for me, you know, like Punjab is is everything. You know, it's like Gurwandi tartiya like that is our motherland. And like Punjab is trapped right now within the Indian Union and. Punjab existed before India and you know Punjab will continue to exist after India disintegrates and yeah like I I think it's you know if you have that pain if you have that kitsch like sit with it and and share that you know pain and share that connection and and look after it is is incredibly valuable and it's rare you know like more and more people are feeling that pull now towards Punjab and and it's great and it's something that needs to stay with us um and our relationship with Punjab needs to be defined by it we need to change our relationship with Punjab and like you know a lot of people you know will talk about um Punjab very negatively or, or, or our parents basically because my mom was born there and like my dad was born there so um you know like we talking about our parents like oh they're backwards or they're they're desi or they're like you know their Punjab is corrupt or like you know associating so much negativity with our culture and our virsa and like not being um cognizant of like what Punjab has been through and Punjab still rises and like in an instant has pulled all of our attention back to Punjab and um, you know its struggles and, and I, th- I think it, it is valuable and if you have that connection and you have that pain please like respect it and, and look after it
0: that's so important and so powerful and thank you if you're feeling that just lean into it and nurture it let it become something let it be used for good and Viji, one of the things that's been floating around, and people have different opinions on it, that this is a farmer struggle, it's not a religious struggle, it's to do with the state of Punjab, it's not to do with Sikhs. What's your opinion about that?
1: So the current um, agitation that we see right now, it has, um, well, five kind of demands have emerged out of it. Um, and like, one of the, obviously, the clear demand uh, from the Sangat is, that you know these these laws need to be repealed. That's like one of the the clearest demands. There's no going back to that. And you know if it was if the you know the issue was um, left into the hands of um, the farmers' unions, it perhaps you know this may change. Right? Um, they may accept a, a lesser demand than the completely um, uh, the complete re- um, repealing of these laws. There's other demands as well, um, such as. Um, you know, dropping all of the false cases under the UAPA Act, um, the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act, which is uh, a law that India uses to crush any form of dissent. So, you know, there's an image I'm sure everyone's seen of a young guy called Navdeep Singh who jumps from like, um, you know, uh, he jumps onto a water cannon um, and he switches it off and then he jumps onto his tractor and that image has gone quite viral. and he had a, a charge of attempted to murder um, under UAPA placed on him. So one of the demands is like to repeal all of these bogus cases and these, you know, sedition laws and all that. And the other kind of demand is to repeal uh, an electricity law. Um, uh, and another one is to uh, repeal. Um, um, a stubble burning law which basically imprisons you if you um, after you've harvest your crop if you burn it because uh, pollution etc but it's like a normal farming practice so they want all of these kind of laws repealed um, but it's like you cannot deny that this movement right now is has these kind of clear um, demands at its current moment right um, it would be unfair to impose that this is what that movement is as well so if those f- um, five demands are met, um, then comes the question of like is this justice or is this victory but you know we, we come to that in a moment but right now this movement is uh, you cannot argue that it's a movement for um, the farmers laws and that's what's brought it to this point and um, the same kind of agitation that we're seeing now um, is part of the same demands that we're seeing now of um, better relationship between Punjab and the central government in Delhi um, has been powering Sikh resistance ever since the 1940s, from the Punjabi Suba movement, the Tarun movement, like you know the Punjab Buns and you know all the kind of um, uh, strikes that we've seen that led up to the 1980s, where um, you know it, it, the agitations reached like a peak, where San Jana Singh is on the scene now, and Sant Singh is very clearly articulating. What the root cause of the issue is, is that Punjab is enslaved to the Dili Takat. And you still see today, you see like that same call to Sant Janel saying, like, I saw a video just the other day of a speaker standing on the stage and, you know, saying, you know, every one of us today remembers the Teer wala Baba. We all, you know, we wish he was here right now with us. Um, and then people just erupt in like Jakare. Um, so many of these singers at the moment like that um sung songs um that have kind of galvanized the spirit of the people make reference to sanchanel singh um you know so this larger context within which this current eruption this current agitation exists is the context of uh, punjab's autonomy um, and there's there's so many like you know aspects to that larger context there's there. The, the key kind of background to it is, um, our sovereignty, our Shahi. Um, and then there's this trajectory that the uh, Panth has been on, um, since Guru Nanak's time that's kind of reverberated throughout every time six have kind of expressed their desire to see a political structure, um, emerge in the world that takes care of people's needs. This ha- idea of Halim Miraj, of Begampura, of Sarb Sanjeevata, of, um, Uh, A way of functioning in society and a way of existing collectively where the most marginalized um, needs are taken care of, where when you're in a position of power, you don't act from ego and uh, a sense of authoritarianism, you act from a sense of benevolence and love. That's always been the driving force for six to capture political power. You know, so many writers have written about this, you know, beautifully and poetically throughout our long history. And it's always been the key, like who six to capture political power in order to uproot and eliminate injustice and oppression. That's the reason why the Khalsa Panth exists, right? So that trajectory seen continually, the Panth kind of go towards um, like, you know, like banda Singh Bahadur, Singh Karja Singh, the missile period, like Ranjit Singh, like to um, uh, Sanchinelle Singh and the Kharku movement. That desire, that driving force has always been the same. So, that trajectory that the punts on towards its autonomy um, has only been reinforced with, like, you know, the, the Shahidin over the last, like, 30 years. Um, and then there's a uniqueness to this struggle, right? Um, and that uniqueness is Sikhi, um, and it's our Sangarsh, and it's um, the, our uh, Shahi, right? So that uniqueness and that Sikhi is visible everywhere. Like yesterday, there was an image um, that I chucked up on my Twitter. I think yesterday, or the day before, and um, the people that are gathered in Delhi under various banners, under various um, you know flags, they they climbed a, a high tower, and on the top of the tower, they put all their flags, and they put the Nishan side uh, above all the rest of it. So, like you know, the question. Is simple, right? If this is a, a movement of Indian farmers, why aren't they carrying the, the taranga? Why are they not carrying the flag of India? Why is it that the Nishan Sahib is so important? And listening to like our elders speak, um, listening to the children speak, listening to everybody speak, the main thing that you hear from them. Um, you know, like the, a kabaddi group came and uh, a, a women's kabaddi group came to Delhi, and and you know, an interviewer asked them like, "Why are you here?" And they said, "We're the daughters of the um, smesh Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's the driving force. You ask people like, "You know, why are you here?" And they say, "You know, this is Like, you know, and you see that uniqueness expressed explicitly and in muted tones where you can kind of pick it out that this is what people are saying and this is what's driving them. And explicitly you see it with um, the Nahangdals when they moved towards dili they had a little meeting on a stage where they did some speeches and they said very clearly the Khalsa Panth recognizes no authority emanating from Diddly. right. There's no authority that comes from dili that rules over the Khalsa Panth. We're here, we're sovereign. Um, and we've conquered Delhi nineteen times. Don't make this the twentieth time. Very, very explicit. Uh, this is what's driving um, everything, and and what's informing um, you know the, the the struggle are these examples uh, you know of Bagail Singh conquering Delhi, and right now in Delhi you see um the manifestation of sikhraj like you see langar you see gurbani being sung you see people oh, uh, treating everybody with a sense of equality and there's a sense of justice there and that comes from gurbani that sarab sanjivalta is is a unique thing to sikhi that isn't available anywhere else like we can sit on a table and we can have differences with people but we don't undermine their humanity we don't undermine or impose our will on anyone we oppression isn't part of sikhi we don't capture power in order to impose our hukam on other people right so that like what's informing this struggle is is visible is visible in so many different forms i mean like we could do just a, a conversation on just what's visible to us right like from the langas to like some of the power manifesting itself to like The security set up by Nahangdals, you know, like there's so many visible forms of um, the Sikhi that's uh, informing this. And and I'll end it on this one point. There's this uh, uncle from Rajasthan um, who came and he he said, you know, Punjab, Sardavad Dapraya, and like, you know, the Guru Nanak is Punjab. And he's talking about Punjab is like, that has a role of uh, being the elder brother, um, you know, which is this, you know, dynamic that's very deep set in South Asian culture. And he talks about how Punjab is Guru Nanak's Punjab. Um, you know, and there, there's a, another video, of like some Muslim brothers, and they were saying we're the children of Guru Gobind Singh. Like this is the, they were Punjabi Muslims, and they were saying, you know, we are the children of Guru Gobind Singh. Like you know, how can anybody trample on us? We've been given freedom by Guru Gobind Singh. So there's a very profound, deep connection to Sikhi that that cannot be erased. And then Nishan Sahib evokes exactly what the Indian state is. Um, claiming um, it evokes, which is a sense of defiance and sovereignty. And and the Indian state is using that to, to demonize um, Sikh resistance, to demonize all the people that are there and and um, justify state violence. And, and it's been doing that, um, you know, every time Punjab raises its head in rebellion. So that mm-hmm. shouldn't like deter us um, from our expression.
0: Absolutely. And we have seen this again and again with the silencing in the media, and the erasure of the messaging, so um, I'm fully there with you because it's it's fact, it's true. A lot of people who sit on the outsides, um, they don't see it to be that deep a problem, and it's only when you're actually immersed and you see the, the complexity of it. Now people are recognising it on social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, where this had begun to happen. A lot of accounts got deleted, a lot of posts are disappearing, um, all related to this very same movement And essentially what's happening is a peaceful protest. Um, I think I saw a post the other day that was projecting the farmers as terrorists. Um, And this, for me, it was comical, but it was painful at the same time because there is a clear demonstration of peaceful protest. There is a clear demonstration of unity and people trying to fight for their rights in what do I say, in a dignified way, and to be labelled in such an undignified manner. um, I think it was like, was something silly about them eating pizzas on the protest or something? And I was like, I was just baffled at this idea that this is news, But the fact that their rights are being taken away from them is not global news. It's not made, you know, international media in the same way as some of the ridiculous things have.
1: Yeah. And like that's part of like the Indian state's tactic from from a really long time. Um, And it goes back against uh, again to colonialism, this logic of the fundamental religious extremist and the fanatic. Uh, that needs to be subdued with violence um, and if you don't meet that fanatic with violence they will you know fight against you you know they you need to like basically oppress them and like there's listening to one lecture where his uncle he says you know like Parboor um, uh, en- en- an- um, uh, like on the NSYF YouTube and he says basically like the British, they had a policy that until you grab the sick Sardar and you cru- and until you crush his head under the hooves of your horses, this Sardar will keep rising. And that's the, that's been the policy of the Indian state. And everything that's erased... And everything that's demonized is tied to our sovereignty and our uniqueness. Sikhi um, explicitly is being targeted through the farmer unions, where they're saying, don't make this into a sick issue. It is a sick issue. Just the vast majority of um, Punjab's population are Sikh, and the a vast majority of those are farmers, and there's a unique to the Sikh it, angle that can't be erased it doesn't mean that other people are not protesting but Sikhs aren't saying don't talk about the uniqueness of the Haryana struggle or the uniqueness of um, Bihar struggle or um, other states that are trapped within India we should celebrate all of our differences and um, the state doesn't want that to happen they want it to be this one label of Indian right um, and like when you have Indian and you have Sikh, they're in opposition and conflict uh, with each other because Indian, um, you know, is, is a word that originates from the imagination of European colonizers. They see brown people and they label them Indians in South Asia and in North America, two continents, right, where they find a whole lot of brown people and say, Well, now you are all Indians. Um, and, you know, i'm a Punjabi Sikh you know i don't speak Indian i don't wear Indian clothes i don't eat Indian food you know my culture is an Indian culture there are no such things you know there is no Indian language there's no Indian cuisine most restaurants i've seen that are called Indian are actually Punjabi food but that's a conversation for another day of, of appropriation but um Mm -hmm. yeah like we wear you know Punjabi and like you know we uh, our culture is tied to Punjab so there's a uniqueness there that cannot be erased and and that's what's being targeted here by the state when they're demonizing Khalistan they're demonizing our Shaheeds and uh, and because that trauma runs so deep within our community you're looking like our parents generation who at least um, you know, within your family, you had family members that were tortured, that were abducted, you had you know mass rapes being used as a weapon by the police forces. You know, this that trauma runs so deep that our own people are saying don't talk about Khalistan because it will hurt the farmers. Because there's an awareness that if you talk about Khalistan, the state will respond with violence. That's what people are saying. You know, some people say explicitly. And, but other people are saying you know it's going to hurt the farmers let's not make it about Khalistan let's not make it about this larger issue but that is the issue and now is the time and you know all over you know international media we've seen headlines of Indian farmers protesting but every single article I've opened and I've looked at the pictures they're the same pictures of our elders of six and uh, um, Abidbiya and Budget. I haven't seen a single picture of any Indians to be honest you know I've seen like Pictures I've seen in mainstream media, pictures of Punjabi Sikhs, but that's completely erased. So you see that if we want to be presented to the world, we have to come as Indians. If we're not coming as Indians, then we're coming as Sikh. And if we're coming as Sikh, then we're coming as religious, we're coming as Khalistanis, we're coming as extremists. And and that whole cycle of violence reaffirms itself. And that's why you see Sikh organizations, particularly here in the UK, um which I've butted heads with over this issue like non-stop and I, and I will continue to butt heads with them is they keep talking about Indian farmers um and you know which for me is like it's born out of this victim mentality that if we talk about Indian farmers then the media will pick up on it because they don't understand what a Punjabi sick is It's maybe it's too many words to fit on a headline or whatever so let's just make it easy for them and talk about Indian farmers but there's an issue of uh, there's a uh, there's a conflict between Sikh and Indianness that isn't being captured here. You know we're not Indian, right? And like the same organizations are have you know um, founding members that are like part of Khalistan organisations, So it's like how can you now in this moment of being visible to the world accept that your visibility is under the label of Indian, under a, a forced political identity? It's not an ethnic category. Um, it's a political category. So you know like. And they don't want to push back against that because they're like, Oh, if we make it about six, then it'll be linked to uh, um, Sikki and Khalistan. And again, it's just like this fear that just immobilizes them. And, you know, and that's not part of Sikki, you know, like if you're Tarmi, then you speak, you know, this is what you do. You speak the truth. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. And this is what Sanjan El Singh is, you know, manifested. And this is why Sanjan Singh continues to be like, A powerfully evocative person because they spoke like truth and fearlessly you know like to the to this point that we have nobody that can speak that kind that level of truth that Janelle Singh spoke you know is phenomenal
0: there's there's so many conversations here Fiji because what you're what you're talking about I I agree and I resonate with that there's layers of fear That have Mm. been embedded into our generations to teach us to tame us and um it's the fear of the repercussions on us or on our loved ones that holds many of us back from action and it's it's why not everybody is an activist unfortunately Mm. um and that's okay i feel that maybe we can serve in different spaces but knowing The essence and the roots of what Sikhi is is to not tolerate injustices that is what our gurus gave their lives for when they laid down their lives for other faiths to practice rightfully Um, I think it's important to remember those things and this movement that is happening right now what in your opinion is the significance of it for the wider Sikh community?
1: There's a deep, profound connection between the diaspora um, and between Punjabis that are living, you know, outside. We all came from there, right? Like the vast majority of us, um, when we were kind of migrated outside of Punjab, we either went to like, um, you know, Malaysia and Singapore or East Africa or North America or Britain, um, you know, all to kind of former British colonies, and that connection to Punjab runs really, really deep, and this. Um, significance um is basically our existence here in the west right like is founded on um you know our ancestors in Punjab we still have these very deep um, connections to Punjab Um, and this kind of movement you know really highlights that and centers that um, that you know it feels like almost right now it feels like everything's kind of stopped you know like This is more significant, I feel, in many ways than the COVID pandemic for Punjabis and Sikhs. Um, You know, it's kind of taken over everything uh, at this moment in time. Like everyone wants to know about Punjab. Everyone wants to talk about what's happening every day, Um, you know, to the point of like, it's becoming overwhelming, like every day there's just so much um, content, you know, that's commanding your attention, um, you know, that's coming out from Punjab. and. How do you kind of build a meaningful relationship with what's happening there? and um, there's a massive massive um, there's a massive connection, a massive connection and and what what personally I've seen in the diaspora especially has been people kind of latching on to these moments of like really powerful sick expression um you know myself included, like it, it means so much, you know, and like you know seeing Punjabis resist, seeing. Punjabis and Punjabi Sikh being the vanguard of like this mass resistance is, it's like, it's history in the making, you know? And seeing other communities, um, you know, talking about Sikhs in a way in which we should be behaving. Like there's a expectation from other communities um, within South Asia because those nobody really has that history um, of resistance to oppression the way Sikhi does in South Asia, no community has that. Um, the way Sikhs claim sovereignty, like you know, and uh, the way we empower people to embrace their divine sovereignty is is profound, and and no other community kind of has that. Um, so, seeing like. People look towards sex as you know um, a model of governance, a model of how women to exist. There's this interview with this lady in Diddley, um, like she runs a shop, and you know she talks about how you know, um, yeah. so some the BBC's interviewing her and they're asking her how you're feeling about all this and she's like, you know what, this is, is so great and she's like, everyone here is so nice and she's like, everyone comes and they're so polite she's like, every person asks me if I'm okay um, and then she says right at the end, she's like I just wish instead of being settled in Delhi I was just living in Punjab she's like, I can't imagine what it'd be like to live in Punjab, right? So like, there's this expectation um, on this Kakonia. and like, we're not only... We're reminding ourselves, I feel, at this present moment in time as well, what it means to be a Sikh. And I think especially in the diaspora, that's where a lot of our focus and our energy should be, because what I see in the diaspora is Sikhs aligning themselves with the state, aligning themselves with the police, the military, all of the apparatus that are designed to oppress. You know, and six are you know have fulfilled that role because of colonization, because of this whole martial race racist logic. You know, and six that uh, migrated out. Um, you know, like my grandparents that went to Singapore to serve, like in some British imperial police thing or whatever. And um, there's a deep connection for, with our migration to cl- uh, colonization, and especially in countries like the UK, there's a deep connection to like World War One and Two, and you know those individuals are honoured. Um, but we don't look at how we've been victims of exploitation from colonizers. Um we kind of really l- love that model minority rhetoric. Um and we love like showing proximity to like the state and the people that have power, whereas you know, gurus was taught, taught us Nietzsche and Nietzsche, Jat, right? Like we stand with the lowest of the low, um, the most marginalized. Um and Teri Nadar nadarbagshish, right? Like that's where uh grace, that's where we find it. And it I mean, says, like, you know, right? like, why would we want to align ourselves with those that have power? Like, we stand with, with the powerless. And for me, this is like a big moment uh, for the diaspora to be introspective, to look at where we're standing, who our allies are, uh, potentially where we should be standing, and, you know, what our what is the question of Punjab's future what does justice and and victory look like for us right because this isn't Mm -hmm. just it
0: this
1: this moment isn't it
0: Mm -hmm. that was going to be my question to you because um understanding where we are and what is going on and how deeply rooted it is and how we should all be called to this movement i think it's important to understand what does that vision of victory and justice look like
1: that's like the the question that we have to like kind of wrestle with because if these three laws um are repealed does that mean um that Punjab is now okay or as one uncle put it the other day is we're we're at an acceptable level of suicides not no more than this but this many suicides this much debt this much um, you know, undermining of Punjab's ecology is tolerable any more than this, and and we think that we're gonna die, but we are dying. And Punjab's water table is dropping down. Punjab still doesn't have any effective form of governance. Like everybody who's in power in Punjab, whether it's the Shromniya Kali Dal, whether it's the you know Congress-BJP alliance, whether um, it's Captain Arminder Singh or it's you know Prakash Singh Badal, um they use the machinery of the the state of Punjab to enforce the will of the Delhi government. Now, every single chief minister in Punjab has been a Sikh, a Sardar Sikh ma- man, right? Has been the chief minister of Punjab. But every single chief minister of Punjab has passed laws and used Punjab's all of its machinery from its police forces to like its budgetary, like, you know, um, budgets basically <laughs> um, to undermine Punjab and you know, Punjabi life. Um, and everything's become tokenized, right? So, th- this question of what is justice um, is definitely not the repealing of these three laws. Like, that could be justice now for this moment. But beyond it, this, there's larger questions of justice. There's larger questions of Punjab's ecology, which has to be central to this. Because if P- Sikhs and Punjabis were determining, um, crop patterns rather than the market dictating crop patterns we wouldn't be planting rice you know because chunna like is not a rice isn't a major part of a Punjabi diet Um, our main diet is roti and like dala sabji right rice is something that we um, eat occasionally it's not like a staple thing for us Um, but rice is also a massively water intensive crop it requires a massive amount of water. Rice isn't indigenous to Punjab either as a crop. So it's something that's been introduced to meet the uh, demands of a global market, not for the demands of the Punjab market. So if we were to determine what um, crops we should be planting, r- rice wouldn't figure into that massively the way it does now. We'd be planting other crops. Um, we'd be planting um, in a much, much more harmonious way with nature, as we have been doing for centuries. Um, you know, I was looking at Punjab's like old records of like you know the crops, what they used to plant. There's like some survey done in like 2000 or something, like 20 odd years ago. Um, and so many of those crops that were being planted just 20 years ago are no longer being planted, but we are still eating them. We're still eating the same, like, you know, artas, the same bajra. The, so we eat makki as well, right? Like, muki is a big part of um, our diet, right? Sholay are a big part of our diet. There's so many crops there that are a big part of our diets that aren't being planted in Punjab. And then there's the massive use of uh, pesticides. And then there's the issue of farmers' debt that they're in. Um, and then there's the larger issue of Punjab's water rights. Which is a huge, huge issue, and then there's the issue of Punjab's, you know, state capital, Chandigarh is union territory. Chandigarh was you know, the, meant to be the capital of Punjab, but is, you know, now a shared capital between Haryana and, um, you know, Punjab and like, you know, it's union territory with Delhi. So Punjab doesn't have the infrastructure to determine it. Punjab can't trade internationally. Like it's, uh, is not, it's treated. Um, it's treated in a way where Delhi imposes its will on Punjab. Like even say, for example, I was listening to a lecture the other day um, and this guy was saying, uh, by Manthir Singh was saying, how if in Punjab you want to build something in your pind and you have to submit to the Punjab planning board, that goes, for you have to submit to your municipal planning board, that goes to the state planning board, then that goes to the Indian central planning board. And he's like, that process of submission takes three years. And he's said, like, then that decision's got to filter down. He said, like, then they're telling you like what you can and cannot build in your bin. And he's like, how does some bureaucrat in Delhi know what's better for us, right? Like treating Punj- Punjabis like they're idiotic children. Like they don't know what's better. They don't have to live in society. So we've got to create all of this mess of bureaucracy, to manage these people. We're talking Punjab is like, you know, when the British came there, Punjab's literacy rate was like 99%. It's one of the most educated, most powerful places in the world. Like the Angreers from here had never seen wealth like they saw in Punjab. Like they, for them, it was like, they, you know, there's a documentary on it on the BBC about how, you know, some, um, some guy was talking about how, like, you know, how much stuff they stole from Punjab and how it enabled them to, you know, fund the rest of their empires and their exploits and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, is it has a it, this issue is connected deeply to a lot of larger issues, and what justice is is the question that we need to answer because it's definitely not just the repealing of these three rules. That that can be the beginning, that can be a starting point, but Punjab's autonomy has to be part of that equation you know as much distance as it is from Punjab to drive to Mumbai is the same distance to, if you went the other way to go to Turkey like why can't Punjab trade with Pakistan why can't it trade with like Lahore why can't it trade um, you know into the west why is Punjab heavily restricted to just trading within India and that too at a, a price um, that's lower, that to a way where Punjab's revenue that it generates, um, none of that uh, is seen in Punjab, it's not invested back. Punjab, even though Punjab like, uses 99% of its agribal land for agriculture, it produces a massive surplus as well, is one of the largest earning states in terms of how much it earns for its agricultural output. Yet when it comes to development in infrastructure, it's the lowest state because you know as many sects in Punjab put it this is the vindictive character of uh, Delhi. they don't want to see Punjab prospering in any way so the question is justice and victory and and looking at Punjab's prosperity and autonomy have to be central to answering that question
0: that is very very you made a huge load of valid points there and um I'm learning lots from you today. Today has been a huge moment for me to learn and absorb and just open my perspective on a lot of different things that you've addressed. Um, Is there hope for there to be any form of reform in the governance of Punjab from the Akali Dal or from any of the chief ministers, in your opinion?
1: I mean, if we look at the trajectory where we're on now um, and if we accept Indian um, logic and Indian kind of marketing slogans of being the largest democracy in the world Um, if we accept, you know, all of that stuff on face value without criticism. um, That current system, the current process, the current Indian functioning democracy has brought us to this point where Punjab is encamped in Delhi demanding that Diddley repeal its laws. So this idea of working within the system to reform the system um, personally I think is an abject failure Um, and what that system has done for us has been to violently suppress any form of dissent whether it's literature or picking up a weapon you know that system has seen those two actions the exact same way. Just January last year, three young Sikhs were put into prison, life in prison for having literature around Khalistan. So the, the work that we do here, for example, through NSYF, if we were to do that in Punjab, all of our teams, we would be sitting in prison on life sentences. So working within that system, definitely. And I think Punjab, like Punjab Sikh have spoken and Punjab's population have spoken because they've completely rejected um, you know, the, the governance of these political parties. And, and one of the largest casualties for this has been the long-standing alliance between the Akalidal Dal and the BJP. Hmm. That was one of the earliest victims of this fallout. That relationship broke apart and the Akalidal Dal has tried multiple times to kind of re- endear itself to the population um, of Punjab, particularly the Sikh population. Um, Sukhbir so Badal, um, sorry, his dad, Prakash Singh Badal, he um, handed back some award that he was given. He made a big deal about it. And nobody cared. Like, honestly, like I saw one article about it. That was it. Like, and it hasn't been like, you know, part of the rhetoric. Um, you know, they've tried to kind of, you know, Play this role, but they've been completely exposed as you know, never working in Punjab's benefit, personally, financially benefiting from Punjab's oppression, um, financially benefiting from Punjab's exploitation. But as a political system, like you know, I Amit mean, Shah uh, issued some uh, statements against these laws, but he he was well, he was the guy that made sure these laws got passed, and that's what you know, the kalidal Dal and um, you know, the Congress and their kind of lackeys I suppose is probably the most appropriate term
0: oh Maybe- this is difficult though because this the layers of complexity are really deeply embedded and you know when when we hear it it feels overwhelming it's like this is a problem that doesn't have a solution how do we get out of this cobweb is there a way out and um personally I'm I'm more of a solution oriented person and I feel that there's always a solution you just have to Have to persevere to keep going. And it's it's what you said, we have to go one layer at a time. And if for now that first layer is getting those bills taken care of, and the next is looking into governance and looking into the water sources and even the electric in Punjab and a lot of the other rules that are currently suppressing the whole of Punjab. I think maybe that could be a way that we can step forward, but um I'm very grateful, Bhuji, for your time today to have this conversation. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed learning from you.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on and any time.
0: How can our viewers stay in touch with you and with your work? What's the best way to to be in contact?
1: Well, not so much social media these days, as you kind of touched on. It's a matter of time before um, the pages that we have, um, a lot of them have been removed from Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, nsyf.org.uk. Uh, and we launched a new project as well called Panth Punjab. Um, so the Panth Punjab project is to kind of look at um, you know, the, the post uh, after the kind of cargo uh, movement, how the state... Uh, fueled that vacuum with narratives of development and, and capitalism and how that kind of ties into, um, the, the mechanisms of suppression that we see today. So with Bant Punjab, we've been like speaking to a lot of people in Punjab, um, a lot of renowned kind of thinkers, writers, speakers, activists in Punjab to kind of build that, um, uh, bridge. But yeah, if you check out Bant Punjab, um, .org, subscribe to our mailing list um, and we'll keep you um, up to date. You can follow me on Nandapur underscore Exile on Twitter um, but yeah just uh, any one of our websites just drop us an email um, we're always happy to speak to people.
0: Thank you ruchi thank you and to the whole of the Core Voices community if you feel drawn to step into the front line please reach out to Riji, get in touch with the NSYF and get involved so that we can start to bring change and cultivate some positive movement in this space. Um, thank you to everybody that's been tuning in. Riji, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I hope that you'll be back to talk about some of the other topics that we touched on today.
1: For sure, for sure,
0: anytime. Thank you, Ji. <laughs>